On today's episode of the London Lyceum, we talk with Amy Bird about her new book, Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. We cover topics like, what does it mean to recover from biblical manhood and womanhood? We cover other topics like, what does it mean for there to be an authority-submission relationship between men and women? And is that universal, or is that only unique to certain scenarios? And then, of course, we talk about what does it mean for 1 Timothy 2 to mean that there's male-only ordination? Uh, Why is that command there for only men? We cover a lot more topics, so we have a lot of fun on this episode, so I think you're going to enjoy it. Now, if you have thoughts about this episode or ideas or requests for the show, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email us at contact at thelondonlyceum.com. Now, for the only analytic, Baptist, and confessional podcast on the planet, we think this one's going to get you thinking. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of the London Lyceum, a place for friendly discussion and debate that is designed to generate deep and clear thinking. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your other host, Brandon Askew. And today, I'm really looking forward to introducing you all to our new friend, Amy Bird, uh, and to talk about her new book called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, with the subtitle, How the Church Needs to Rediscover Her Purpose. So I was really interested in reading her book. Um, even before it came out, I saw some you know, pre-published stuff, and I thought, this is really, really interesting. I look forward to reading it. And then uh, I read a review online from Denny Burke, and I read it. And obviously, I haven't read the book at this point, and I just thought, this review is not a good one, uh, to put it nicely. Uh, it seemed like he misunderstood and just misrepresented to, to a significant degree. So I went out, I tweeted about this, and mm. for the first time in my life, I got a viral tweet. Everybody's like, you know, <laughs> talking to me. And I'm like, what have I done? Uh, <laughs> so at this point, I realized, okay, I should probably read the book. <laughs> and I read the book and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Well, and I'm looking forward to talking to you, Amy, about it because mm-hmm. I do think there is some, um, a good segment of our listeners are like confessional reform types. And for whatever yeah. reason, there seems to be some suspicion over mm-hmm. your book. So I think part of what I want to do is just get it out in the open to understand what are you trying to communicate, give you the right. opportunity to do that. So I mean, let's see here. I, I have some quotes from Denny Burke's thing that I just kind of give you an idea of why I thought this was worthy of engaging. So mm-hmm. Denny Burke, he, I don't personally know him. I've got a lot of friends who know him and went to his church and everything. He seems like a genuine guy. But he says this in one of his reviews. He says, never mind the more charitable or cynical take. Either way, there's a generation looking for a doorway and Bird provides it which means she doesn't really need to make good arguments. She doesn't need to do careful exegesis. She can invoke whatever sources she wants. Why? Because she's got a pre-made audience and this audience is ready to jump and is just looking for a reasonably intelligent pretext for doing so. And he goes on to kind of link you to Rob Bell and Donald Miller. And I thought, (laughs) all right, these are some some leaps. So, and you know, (laughs) I know there's a whole bunch packed in this, this, I guess, book and this topic really. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe before we get into dealing with all those things, mm-hmm. just remind our listeners for those who don't know who you are, maybe give a little context. And w- what is it that made this topic so interesting for you? Why did you decide I want to write a book on this, mm-hmm. uh, especially knowing Why all of the I potential criticism? Upon yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm 44 years old. I've been married for 23 years, have daughter and two daughter, daughters in co- college. That's weird to say now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, just starting this fall and the son in high school. And um, so I've been writing my first book uh, published in 2013, and it was called Housewife Theologian. And I started writing not really out of an ambition to be an author, um, but because I had a book in my head, because I just really saw a need as a thinking woman, um, that there was a lack of good theology being offered to women in the church. So um, I wanted to to raise awareness to that, but also to motivate women to, you know, to see that um, we are all theologians in a sense, you know, maybe not professionally, but we all have some sort of knowledge of who God is and, 
and we need to be good theologians. Yeah. So, um, and you know, that book did pretty well. I think it really, um, was timely. There was, you know, other women who were feeling the same way. Um, and so that kind of submerged me into the reformed ish, uh, evangelical ish <laughs> world. Um, and, you know, I had a blog going then, um, which was the weirdest thing for me at the time. Cause, uh, I mean, I didn't even get on Facebook until I was trying to put together, you know, some sort of a platform that a publisher <laughs> would like, <laughs> yeah. but, um, it really did help me connect with people and test out my writing and, and grow through that over time. And I, uh, then became a co-host on the mortification of spin <laughs> podcast and we interviewed lots of authors and academics. And so I was making a lot of different uh, relational connections and also, you know, continuing to grow and learn and, and to write. Um, but as a woman in that sphere, I really saw things differently <laughs> than a lot of the men, you know, which it's mm -hmm. pred predominantly uh, made up of. And usually when there are women writers and speakers, they are kind of um, separated from the men and they have their own kind of arm uh, to speak to. And, 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 you know, I was speaking into the lack of theological depth <laughs> in those spaces. But then I was in a space with the men as well in the podcast, uh, a pastor and an academic. So um, that had its own challenges and its own um, challenges against me. Uh, yeah. And I was able to see the friction that it causes um, in, on different levels. You know, you know, when I first became a co-host, people writing in, um, pastors, you know, uh, this is not something we should be modeling. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, even some of those letters had to do with my looks. So, you know, this is just getting really weird. Yeah. Um, and then I notice as I'm traveling and speaking different uh, ways that I'm treated as a woman when it's in a mixed company setting, you know, even to the point where, uh, and I wrote, well, why can't we be friends? Because here I am, you know, down a sketchy alley in a, a potentially dangerous city in the rain, walking by myself several blocks to, uh, to my car when I could have been given a ride, but I wasn't because I'm a woman. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, that was a, a light bulb in my head of, you know, this is as bad as I thought it was. And um, my husband would be really pissed right now. <laughs> this was <laughs> happening, you know, you know, all this talk about male leadership. Uh, but when it comes down to it, there's a lot of protection of appearances. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote the book, um, you know, so I wrote No Little Women, kind of getting more into the theological depth or lack thereof in women's resources. Then I wrote, why can't we be friends? Because there's a relational layer to all this. And that's why we are kept at arm's length from the rest of the church. Um, and so I really wanted to speak to um, our siblingship in Christ as brothers and sisters and what that means then in the household of God, um, which is to promote one another's holiness and to communicate well together. Um, and then there was another layer still. So it's like with each book I write, I see another another layer. And so with um, recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood, I really wanted to, my desire is always to write about discipleship. And I think as a woman, that desire grows even more because we see a lack of agency as disciples. So, um, you know, I'm not writing about who can be ordained. I'm not writing about even marriage so much. Um, I'm writing about just being a sister in the church and, and with brothers in the church. You know, the the 98% of us <laughs> that aren't orda in ordained leadership, like what do, what honor and responsibilities do we have in the church? And um, so that's, the you know, where I wanted to go with that. Um, but in talking to an editor about it over at Zondervan, um, she really liked all that, but um, – she's seeing these like hurdles that I'm having to go over to even get this far to talk about as a woman. And she, she said, I really think you need to address those hurdles directly in order to be able to show the richness that you're wanting to teach here that you see in scripture with men and women disciples. Um, we have to also 
not be passive about the, the environment that we're in. So that's when I, you know, went for the jugular with the title. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and because uh, CBMW, the Council for Biblical Manhood, did put out a book, um, oh, I don't know, maybe it's 30 years ago now, called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And so the, it's edited by John Piper and Wayne Grudem, and there's all kinds of articles in it, or chapters in it. Um, you know, some really great stuff in there, too. Um, but you know, beginning of my marriage, 21 years old, right out of college, I read that book. And, um, you know, I wanted to be a biblical woman. And, but I also saw some, some issues. So I kind of went back to it. and was like, whoa, after everything I've been experiencing now, uh, and, and hearing from others and in conversation, um, I am really seeing how this has really blown up in the last 30 years. And, and yeah, yeah, I mean, e- even reading your book and you you reference some things in the recovering biblical manhood and womanhood, and I'm like, wow, I don't remember reading that. And I go back, I'm like, yeah, that's legit. There, there. it is. Yeah, it's, it's that just is talking. really weird. And I mean, just to be honest, I don't understand why there's so much. Um, I guess I don't know what the word is. He excitement or frustration over challenging some things in this book. Cause some of the stuff is weird. Like yeah. why, why can't we legitimately critique within our own tribes? I don't get that, but that, that's, that's a whole bunch of layers of questions that come from that. Yeah. So I want to start a little bit just with understanding, I guess, what is it that recovering biblical manhood and womanhood though? And CBMW group would say masculinity and femininity are so, I've got a quote. Denny Burke kind of describes complementarianism this way. He says, complementarity means, among other things, that husbands are to lead, provide, and protect their wives, to care for them as Christ cares for and loves the church. And wives are called to affirm this leadership and to help their husbands in their mutual callings to follow Christ and subdue creation. I mean, is that a fair summary of how you think this, I guess, Biblical manhood and womanhood group has understood um, our roles as men and women and, and our understanding of masculinity and femininity? Well, you can look at it on the surface and it might not look so bad. But when you yeah. are used to reading their work, you know what they mean by the words that they're using. And so it's the meaning yeah. behind a lot of their words that's even more troubling. So in recovering biblical manhood and womanhood, they give definitions for femininity, mature mm. femininity and mature masculinity. And so they are at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. I don't even the Christ is not even in this. Okay, yeah. but. Okay, then this, the femininity one is, at the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. That seems so, like, it, it makes femininity as parasitic on masculinity, right? Right. Is that what you say? That's what I argue yeah. in the book. I'm, what's feminine in there? What contribution mm-hmm. I mean, men can affirm themselves. You guys can yeah. affirm each other's yeah. masculinity. Um, what is specifically feminine? Mm-hmm. Is there even a contribution at all from the woman, except for to be, uh, you know, as Virginia Woolf would say, put it, uh, a mirror that reflects man back twice his size. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it's it's very troubling. And then you see how troubling and uh, disastrous it becomes in the book, when they start breaking it down into different examples of, you know, women, we need to be careful not to strength train. Um, you know, and I re- read this stuff at 21 years old thinking, I grew up in a family that taught martial arts in the basement. You know? yeah. So this was just so foreign to me because, you know, I was down there myself. And, and so to hear that, you know, I'm not supposed to give any direct or personal guidance to a man to the degree that I do that, I will be um, emasculating him. And that and that's across the board, right? That's any relationship. Yeah, right? with any man to a degree that a woman gives direct and a, and personal guidance. So wow. that just seems to make like manhood fragile. Very, and that's the 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 uh, contradiction of the whole thing is that these men, and you know, even some of the chapters written in there from some of the women, 
talk about this fragile ego that a man, yeah. man has. And so it's our job as women um, to build them up. I mean, granted, you know, I'm fragile sometimes, but I don't feel like that's <laughs> that's my wife's responsibility to like, you know, protect every area of me to make me continue in fragility the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, they're very troubling definitions. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so, yeah. Or go ahead. Oh, oh yeah. So I was just going to, and not to make this whole interview about Denny Burke, but I mean, since he is, I'm assuming still the president of CBMW and he wrote the most probably well-known, I guess, well, or widely read um, review of your book. I guess we do need to interact with them a little bit, but I, I, I don't want to get stuck on the labels, but I do think it's mm-hmm. important because a lot of people do think, think about this issue through complementarian versus egalitarian. But, yeah. but Burke says um, this about you. He says that you're very quote, very clear that she does not wish to be known as a complementarian at all. And then she says, she writes, I cannot call myself a complementarian. And then elsewhere, he quotes you, he says, um, no, he says, Bird is not a complementarian. She's very clear about that in the book. More than once, she says as much in so many words. I cannot call myself a complementarian. And in his review, he uses, um, I think, broad and narrow complementarianism. So I suppose broad is more just applicable to any um male female relationship whether that be friendship workplace whatever else and the narrow is just within the church and within the home so i suppose I, I, my first question is is what he's laid out there a, a fair representation of of your views and do you have any sort of label that you would even use on this complementarian egalitarian spectrum to identify yourself now yeah so the word itself complementarity uh it's, it's really quite a beautiful word. So um, it hurts to say that, no, I, I don't want to call myself that because it's a movement. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just a, a quote unquote label of what I believe. It's not just a confession, but it's actually a movement and it's a very contemporary movement and um, led by CBMW. And there is so much error, biblical error attached to this movement um, you know, and you can ask me, you know, questions about that later too, but about, you know, the, the Trinity, <laughs> about mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, um, and then about the nature, the ontology of man and woman. Um, and, and it's extremely, extremely reductive, um, to put it nicely. So um, I, I think that's damaging to the church. I think it's damaging to the witness of who God is. Um, and so, no, I do not call myself a complementarian. Um, I'm not an egalitarian either. So I just choose to say that I'm confessional because I'm in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Yep. I mean, we have some pretty well laid out confessions. Very um, liberal denomination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, I think that writing within the bounds of the confessions of my church is good enough. Yeah. 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 For me, when I read that quote from Burke, I mean, I hadn't read your book at the time, but it seemed curious to me. So when I actually read the book, it's like he's he's, he's lifting a phrase from a sentence and from a context where he, it seems to me the way you're saying, I don't want to call myself a complementarian. You're saying, I don't want that because of all the associations there with it, right. not because I want to deny that there's a difference between a man and a woman. Well, so he does that throughout his whole review. He uh, misrepresents my writing terribly, um, which, you know, I don't understand how that can be accepted as a a fair or an academic review of any kind um, to do that. Um, And so that is disappointing, being that he's the president of uh, Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, It's just not fair. Do you you think that that what's going on with CBMW um, and, and, and this complementarian movement, do you think that maybe it's a sign of a bigger problem of the church um, taking her cues from, from these big well-known parachurch organizations rather than, because it's almost like um, some churches, and I, I think I've even fallen into this trap myself in the past, mm-hmm. that we kind of look to these parachurch ministries as like our filter for truth. So then, you know, we go there to, to find out what, you know, what's really going on or what what I really should believe. So do you think that's part of the problem that the church is relying too much on parachurch ministries? Oh, yeah. And the, the second part of my book, 
addresses that very topic that we have taken discipleship out of the church and, and yeah. kind of let the pair church take it over. And that is not according to the, you know, the great commission that Christ gives the church. Um, we're supposed to be, the church is supposed to disciple and we're disciples of Christ. And what's happening is um, people are becoming quote unquote disciples of celebrity pastors mm-hmm. and, and authors and, and radio shows. <laughs> so, you know, particularly with CBMW, this is, uh, really happened because, you know, they spoke into a time when there was a lot of fear because of the sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. And even within the evangelical church, a lot of the mainstream churches were starting to ordain women or, and then some ordain homosexuals and and things like this. So they kind of said, listen to us, we're going to help talk about the beauty beauty of distinction between the sexes and they're providing all these resources and all these conferences. And so I'm sure, you know, many churches are like, great, you know, here's some resources that we can use. They have the same values as us. Um, You know, these are teachers that we know and learn from already. Um, And and that's the thing is like, you just go ahead and put all your trust on, on that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really led to a divide between men and women in the church um, as well. But um, yeah, I think we've put too much trust in parachurch. And um, I'm not, you know, I have worked in parachurch <laughs> organizations. I mean, publishing is, is that as well. Mm-hmm. But um, we need to do that with discernment and just with a proper uh, framework of where discipleship happens. Yeah, that's good. Uh, one other question I, I wanted to ask before we really got into, I guess, the the meat uh, or the content of your book is headship. So it seems like a lot of people have pushed back uh, on your book for various reasons, whether it's they think you have an anemic version of headship mm-hmm. or you have a feminist understanding of headship because you <laughs> reference Sarah Coakley, mm-hmm. which for the record, I think Sarah Coakley is really interesting and fun to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the fact that you quote, or quote her or reference her, I don't see why that's a problem, but right. Burke says, Bird shows no concern for submission to male headship because for her, submission does not mean deference to authority, but ranking someone else as more important than oneself. So he seems to think there are two ways to understand headship. One is submission. The other one is ranking. And he thinks that you take headship to mean ranking only. And there has to be some, I guess, submission in this headship understanding to, to maintain a legitimate understanding of headship. What do you think about his definition? Is that right? Is that what the confessions teach us? Mm-hmm. Does Westminster tell us this is how we should understand headship? Westminster does not, but uh, <laughs> Burke is a Baptist. So, um, yeah. you know, they have a little bit in their confession as he showed there. Um, so I'm not a Baptist, but you know, and I think we need to be humble here when we talk about the meaning of headship, because it's not, I mean, we do have this theme throughout scripture of Adam being our representative head um, in the covenant of works, and then mm-hmm. Christ being our covenantal head in the covenant of grace. So, um, you know, we're either in Adam and we're in Christ. And it's interesting when you think of it that way, because um, that's kind of a union thing, right? Um and so I think that there's a lot going on with that term. Um, and it's used, you know, when it talks about uh, ma- male and female, you know, you have very little information <laughs> given in the New Testament of where this word head is used. Um, yeah. And so there's been really good scholarly work on head meaning source. Um, and a lot of egalitarians uh, will, will take hold of that and say, you know, head can mean source. And so woman is, uh, you know, man is the source of woman. And that makes a lot of sense. However, I don't think that that takes away um, a specific responsibility given to to man then as the first. Um, And so I I don't want to just say, oh, it means source. So that means that there is no um, leadership involved here or authority involved here. Uh, But I have a very different understanding of authority and leadership than uh, CBMW would teach. So I would say that, um, you know, as the source or as the first in in creation order, um, there's an order of love there. Um, Man should be the first to love, the first to give of himself, the first to sacrifice. 
Um, and so that's a huge responsibility. Um, if you want to call that leadership, you know, cause you don't see this word spiritual leader <laughs> or anything in scripture, but, um, you know, then, you know, we go to Ephesians five as well. And we see that, um, the man, the husband, when he addresses husbands, well, we have to think about the household codes at the time and the fact that he's speaking to the head of the household, the paterfamilias, um, and how shocking it would be for him to say then that he needs to love his wife, <laughs> not rule over her, mm-hmm. um, but love her. And it gives very detailed, like just as Christ loved the church, this is a great mystery. Our bodies tell the story about how Christ received his gift of his bride, the church. Our bodies are theological. So um, they're telling this great story. So what is what is it that a husband's to do to love? He's to sacrifice his own rights. He's to um, sacrifice his own prestige as the paterfamilias. Um, he's to sacrifice his own body to elevate and serve his wife. That is shocking news at the time. Yeah. So um, and that's headship. <laughs> that's representing Christ. Um, it's not tell her what to do. Yeah. It's not this military command. Um, it's actually the opposite. Um, I was thinking about this right before we went on, and I was reading uh, – in Matthew, and, and Christ teaches the exact opposite. In Matthew 20, verse 25, when the disciples are arguing about, you know, who's going to be first in the kingdom and all this business, mm-hmm. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in um, high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Yeah. So we're both Paul and Jesus are saying, we don't think the same way about authority and uh, leadership as the world does. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think, I, mean, I, I can't help but I agree because it seems I read a lot of, I've read a lot of leadership books in my past. I don't read them really anymore. But somebody pointed out to me that you will almost never see servanthood as a major section of that. And now that I'm reading your book and I'm wondering how much larger does this type of um, filtering all of manhood and womanhood through this filter of authority and submission, strength and neediness, how does that really color my thinking about what leadership is Mm -hmm. or what discipleship in the church is? Uh, Because it seems what your book is primarily doing is not trying to reorganize uh, the family unit or male only ordination. It's primarily focused on showing abuses of hyper focus mm-hmm. on, on things in such a way that it blurs out everything else. Yes. So and, like- and I just think the way that we think about the meaning behind the words that we're using, like we have to mm-hmm. stop and, and ask, what do you mean by that when you're saying it? And they're very clear um, and, and what their meaning is. And, you know, I've been writing a little bit more about this since the book, just the difference between, you know, there are power dynamics yeah. um, in relationships, but, um, it's, we're not called to exercise power over um, in so, some sort of top-down way. We're, we're called to use our power um, to give power to. And so we, our bodies and our authorization from God is to love, to give our very selves in power to. And so I would uh, you know, specifically say that that is first on the husband. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I do think all the stuff you're diagnosing is a legitimate problem. I mean, I can't help. I could can't, I can't count how many times my wife has uh, lamented how when she's in church, um, other men will not even look her in the eye when they greet yes. her or they uh-huh. won't greet her. I mean, there seems to be deep seated, legitimate cultural problems in the church for not treating women as legit, actually equal. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can parrot the fact that, you know, equal in role, or not equal in role, equal in essence and or nature and distinct in role. But it seems that um, whether we've intended to or not, a lot of the evangelical culture has ended up creating an environment that's not equal. Um, you know, Burke talking about how your book is apparently an exit for complementarianism. To me, if we continue in that direction, that's going to lead to destruction for complementarianism, not right. a healthy, legitimate honest critique. I mean, 
what <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm going on a monologue here. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm supposed to be asking you questions. Well, I know, but that's just it. I think that there's there's a lot going on here. And even like when you're using that word rolled, um, it's a legit word, except for we got to think of how it's being used again. And they use the word roll as an ontological reality. Like this is a fixed ontological thing, which that's not what the word means at all. Role comes from the theater. It's, it's something we perform. It's something we play. So it's, it's not, um, it's not at all something ontological within us. So they look at subordination of women as an ontological role. So I, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, your reason for writing really all of your books, but, but this one especially is, is because you want it to be um, aimed at improving discipleship in our churches. Yeah. And um, something that you say in the book is that there, and I mean, you say it and it's just obvious if you walk into a, a bookstore, but there's a discrepancy in how um, Christian books and, and other um, discipleship materials are marketed to men versus how they're marketed to women. And um, so I wanted to get you just to talk about that a little bit, because that's something that I think is um, a huge, huge problem in the church. It's almost like even the way we brand things toward women, it's like we're not taking them seriously. Like, oh, well, you know, you can't do like real like Bible study. Here is your pink book with, you know, <laughs> flowers on it and a couple questions. I don't know. It's like, and I don't, I don't know that people would come out and say that, you know, that, that the publishers are, are doing that consciously, but I think it's just something that well, it, 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 it's, it's yeah. happening. And, and I just, so talk, just speak to that a little bit about why you think it's happened. And, you know, do we really have two different goals yeah. is my goal to be a biblical man and yours to be a biblical woman or do we have the same uh goal in, in discipleship yeah so there's a lot of questions and layers going on in that yeah. um you know first i think that women you know have only been able to write <laughs> for a, sh a short amount of time even so it was exciting for women to have a space to be published you know um however we were put in our own little box like you can write for women and um women haven't been invested in theologically as much so the material coming out um was very basic and a lot of it full of fluff um a lot of it not put through any kind of good review <laughs> as theologically speaking and um and so you have this which is becoming a growing problem because women read more than men women mm -hmm. buy books more than men um even you know i remember uh Years ago, I was talking to the guys over at Westminster Theological Seminary bookstore, and I just wanted to know, are, what are the stats there as far as, and sure enough, even in the seminary, women were buying more books. Hmm. So we are a great market. <laughs> but let me say that, um, you know, as a conservative church, we balk at the radical feminists who say that the Bible is this patriarchal construction put together by the most powerful men yeah. um, to subdue women. However, I think that we are sending the same message <laughs> when we look at the, the books marketed to women in the Christian bookstore. Um, it's basically saying, you know what, the Bible is so male-centered and male-authored that you need your own resources to be able to relate to it better. Um, and then, yeah, we have these pretty covers. And I can't tell you, even like women authors who are writing a little more uh, depth <laughs> theologically are struggling with their publishers on the book covers that are, you know, being slapped on their books. There's women who are writing decent books, but for some reason they're only marketed to women. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so there's this, because of the market appeal for one thing, but then also because of this strong complementarian belief from the movement that men shouldn't be learning from women. So, you know, in the book, I kind of, looked at something a little more uh, in-depth theologically, which was Crossways, uh, Men's Devotional Bible and Women's Devotional Bible. Mm -hmm. And it, it's very revealing when you see the contributors and what the article titles are. Um, that The articles for men all had to do with leadership and agency. And, and the articles for women had to do more with our like inner conflict and, and victimhood. Um, there were both male and female contributors, uh, authors, Bible scholars, um, pastors in the woman's devotional Bible, which, hey, that's great. We get to you know learn from multiple voices, but that's not the case in the men's study Bible. 
there were only male authors and Bible teachers and um, pastors who are contributing in that Bible. So again, the message is that there's nothing to learn from the feminine voice. And that, Mm -hmm. in fact, that is, you know, a Mm no-no. Yeah, I guess it really depends on how much you think this command in like first Timothy two extends to everything. Mm-hmm. Does this command that Paul gives for, for uh, women not to teach, does that literally mean no woman can ever teach a man in any potential context? I mean, I know Wayne Grudem's got like his list of a hundred <laughs> things. Yeah. So here, let me give you specific case studies on, is this okay? Is this not okay? If, if the small group is over four people or under four people, is it okay then? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like it becomes hyper arbitrary at some mm-hmm. point. Well, you have um, all these verses in scripture uh, exhorting us to be teachers, to be teaching yeah. one another. You've got Colossians three sixteen, Hebrews five twelve, Romans twelve six through eight, First Corinthians twelve thirty one, First Corinthians fourteen one, First Corinthians fourteen twenty six. This is addressed to the whole church um, that we should be teaching one mm. another. So you know, in a general office, not in a special office. Yeah. Um, those aren't gendered verses. So, you know, if we're reading scripture in light of the rest of scripture, then um, we've got a real problem interpreting First Timothy 2 that way. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me personally, when I think back, I mean, I had a mentor who basically, you know, he gave me similar advice, like don't read theological books that are written by women and all, you know, all the whole nine yards on that. Um, I, I'm, I don't think that's legitimate good le, legitimately good anymore obviously I'm, i read mentioned sarah coakley that i read for her <laughs> so i mean i think i can benefit from them there seems to be i guess three categories when it comes to understanding who should be teaching where you have the actual office of elder overseer pastor whatever you want to call it um, which is limited to men which i think we all agree on mm-hmm. um, we have distinct commands for husbands and wives to relate in different ways, um, which I think we all agree that there's a distinction there between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. But then there's that third category of everything else in this general box. And as you mentioned, you give these verses that are applied universally. So why is it that some people think that there has to be a male, female headship or submission role in that third area? Why isn't it sufficient to stay, say, we affirm these first two, so why can't we have more freedom in this third one? Well, I mean, I don't want to speculate too much, but uh, I will say that, you know, going back to the way that they view what authority even is, um, it has a lot to do with power. Hmm. Um, And even with leadership, I mean, uh, Todd Bordeaux, he's he's done some really good uh, speaking and teaching on leadership and just saying how Paul always defines leadership um, by the cross. And so I think that that's very humbling for all of us um, to think about. Um, And and just how how women are viewed. Are we viewed as something that needs to be managed um, and, and that are threatening? And, and dangerous. Um, you know, I, I've been called dangerous by a lot of people. And I find that very interesting because I write within the bounds of my confessions. Um, I'm not sure what the danger is. Yeah. So there's a lot of fear. I think that a lot of this language provokes fear and then it vilifies people. And then it, you know, that, and, and I believe that CBMW is thriving right now off of fear. Yeah. I mean, the cynical person in me just wants to say, yeah, everybody just wants power. So they're all going to do whatever they can to get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's definitely I, power struggles between I, men and women. Yes. Clearly, I don't want to impugn motives to everybody because mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I know I went to Southern Seminary and, you know, they're like, I guess, the place where CBMW is. So I've got friends who've been connected with it and they're good mm-hmm. people. So I don't want to impugn motives to that. Right. But it does seem that on the whole, that is a significant problem, especially in evangelical subculture is power. Um, Brandon, were you going to ask something? I was just going to make sure we got into the Trinity stuff because, so I have, I have a question and, and Amy, maybe you know the answer to this. So I, when I was in seminary, I, we, we got into this debate about the ESS, not, not about whether it was right or wrong, but, um, just about 
Well, I guess some people did think it was right. But anyhow, um, I, I asked the professor, well, what is it? Um, and I guess when you answer this question, you can go into more detail and explain for the listeners, you know, exactly what the debate was in 2016. But um, wh- what what is it that's supposed to tie gender roles to what's going on in the Trinity? Um, because because it seemed to me when people were trying to explain this to me, I kept thinking, OK, well, I understand what you're trying to tell me is true of the Trinity. I don't think you're right. But even if you are right, what does that have to do with gender roles? Like, how are we making that connection? Because I don't see that connection anywhere in scripture, sir. Is this just like a convenient connection that you just made up out of nowhere? Or so do, do you know the answer to that question, how they made that connection originally? And then um, maybe also speak to, uh, well, I guess we'll just leave that there. And then I, I do want to talk about um, what, what Denny Burke says about um the official documents of CBMW and their view on the Trinity. So, but we'll, we'll table that for after you answer this. I just want to confess to all the listeners out here. I bought into that under EFS or ESS, this eternal subordination mm-hmm. understanding. I bought hook, line and sinker when I was in seminary. Mm-hmm. I read the squares book, father, son, and Holy spirit. He significantly goes in there. I wrote a paper on complementarianism. In- <laughs> defending it from the trinity i've heard so many confessions from men who've been in seminary doing the same thing i I had no idea what i was doing and then that debate that isn't that scary though because that it's it's being taught in the seminary yeah it's being taught everywhere um and that's the thing too is you know kind of speaking as well to not reading outside of our own circles you're stuck within this echo chamber um, and you know, I found a lot of invisible fences as well, but, um, Mm -hmm. and then you don't, you don't hear from any other voices. You don't hear what about this? You're, you're placing yourself over the scriptures. Um, and I, that's pretty scary stuff. So, um, yeah, I would say the connecting thing, and I'm not saying that this makes sense, but I'm saying that I would say the connecting thing is ontology. So, at the crux of eternal subordination of the son is a difference in ontology between the father and the son, mm-hmm. that the father has authoritative ontology and that the son submits to that authority of the father in his very essence and his very being. Now that is exactly what's been taught in quote unquote natural theology, uh, not, not to say that natural theology can't teach better than this, but they've used that to teach that uh, women ontologically are subordinate to men in our very essence, our very being. So I think that that is one of the connections made there. And then also that, um, you know, they go to that verse in first Corinthians 11, I believe about Christ being the head of the man and man Mm -hmm. being the head of woman. And that's, I think where they make that connection as well. Yeah, the whole thing is pretty interesting. And to be honest, you know, Bruce Ware, I, I love him as a person. Uh, he's one of the most genuine, kind people I've ever met. But I think he's absolutely wrong on this, as is CBMW on the whole. I know Denny Burke has said there's no official statement on it. But everybody that's connected to it uh, seems to have promoted it yeah. at one point in published, you know, in published work. They've had stuff on the website. I don't see why he can't just own that. Well, they it's- had, you know, on the website, they had... Uh, paper on the Trinity yeah, on their website. Now they've taken it down and acted like it's not been on the website and then said it was only in our journal. Well, uh, <laughs> hello, it's in your academic journal. That's yeah. bad enough. Yeah. But um, it was also on their website and you can go, I have a link for the, the way back machine um, of where it's on there. Yeah. Um, and so that is, you know, their position on the Trinity as CBMW. That's what they taught in their conferences called the beauty of complementarity. Uh, the the then president Owen Strayan, you know, wrote a book about it, uh, and you know he's behind the, the speaker thing, saying like, "This is the gospel." Yeah. <laughs> so not only are they teaching this, but they're teaching like this is essential to the gospel um, to believe. Um, tons of books, and and let me tell you, women's resources. We were reading it like crazy in the women's yeah. resources. It's in children's resources. Um, it's in recovering biblical manhood and womanhood. Okay. Yeah. It's in their Mac daddy book. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, 
And one of the editors, Wayne Grudem of the book, mm-hmm. is teaching it in the book. So, um, and then, you know, Denny's saying, well, this is, we've never said this as an official. Well, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. But then never mind the fact that he had an opportunity coming in as the new president to retract all that teaching. To say, you know what, there is a lot of error that is very damaging about the very nature of God and man and woman um, that has been taught in uh, CBMW. Um, We are sorry for that. We denounce it now. We're going to remove those resources um, and replace it with something better. That didn't happen. They shuffled around the leaders. They said, hey, we can have a big tent as long as everyone believes in the Danvers statement, which is, you know, our own creed that we wrote, um, it doesn't matter what your stance on the Trinity is. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll clobber you over the head if you don't, <laughs> if you don't fall in line with the Danvers statement. Um, we'll even treat you like you're not an Orthodox Christian. But, uh, you know, hey, if you want to deny one of the first order doctrines in the church. Yeah. That's what was so wild to me. I mean, this we're talking about like one of the ecumenical creeds here. We're, we're messing with that, and that's something we can sweep under the carpet. But this other thing, I forget we, Nicaea. <laughs> yeah, we just, got Danvers. And, and as I think about it, I mean, even if it's not never been an official statement, even if you've scrubbed your website of it and everything, it seems you would still want to like own up to the fact that you taught this to hundreds of right. It's irresponsible, but they're still teaching it out of there. They're still teaching it out of there and they're still endorsing each other's books and, and all of those, you speaking at each other's conferences. Um, it is very much being supported by CBMW still. So I think we all agree. The Trinity stuff is a disaster on that front. Mm -hmm. So that was, I think the main way that they were, I guess, grounding this male-female submission, authority submission structure. If we take away the Trinity, at least as far as my little puny brain can understand it, there seems to be two reasons that we would say that there is some sort of differentiation there. And there's a reason that we say only men can be ordained. Mm -hmm. Um, Either there's a natural ontological difference there, Mm -hmm. or it's a divine command Mm-hmm. And maybe we just simply don't know what's grounding that divine command besides the fact that God said that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, so, which is right. Or, <laughs> or do you have another Again, I want to answer that with humility. Um, I'm learning and still learning. But um, I, my position on it right now, really, is that it's representative. Um, that Christ, you know, Jesus was a man. And um, so masculinity it's, it's symbolic of that, you know, when we talk about Christ's spousal love for his bride, the church. So um, I believe that our sexes, um, and, and Pope John Paul II has, you know, written brilliantly on this. I don't agree with everything in there, but I've learned yeah. a lot um, talking about the, the symbolic nature of a man and woman, and really the typology that man and woman have. And so I would say, and you know, hey, Gregory the Great has written this too, that um, that the pastor is like the best man. Mm-hmm. The groom is absent right now um, bodily from us. So he sent his best men <laughs> that he has um, called to share his gifts with his bride. And so I would say that it's representative and that women, um, you know, in our order of creation, And in our very bodies, um, the homology of our very bodies, we represent um, the bride of Christ, the church. So um, that's why I would think that it's it's not just some random command given. That's interesting. I've honestly never heard that before. Maybe that's because I haven't read Pope John Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's written written, uh, really well on it, but... um, you know, even some of the church fathers, like I just said. Mm-hmm. So um, it's not just coming out of nowhere. One other question I, I really wanted to press in on, because I, to be honest, I was a little confused in the book. So help me understand this. And I think people latch on when they come with preconceived notions, they latch on to any ambiguity and mm-hmm. they blow it up to this is the, the end of the world. You've, you've gone yeah. rogue. So <laughs> I didn't feel like I came to it with that type of suspicion. So maybe that's why I'm much more like, just tell me what it means. Um, 
on page 190 you, you, <laughs> of the book, you're talking about several women leaders of house churches. Mm-hmm. And then chapter nine, you, you talk about Junia the Apostle. Mm-hmm. Now, Denny Burke has found this, quote, disturbing. End quote, Mm -hmm. (laughs) saying, quote, perhaps most disturbing is the fact that Bird identifies Junia as a female apostle alongside the apostle Paul and James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, end quote. Mm -hmm. So is is that what you're trying to do? Are you (laughs) trying to make Junia like apostle Paul apostle? Or is there like a distinction? And I said that in the book that um, it's not apostle as one of the 12 apostles, but um, we have small a apostles yeah. in scripture who had seen um, the risen Lord and had been taught by him and then were sent out kind of like missionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I would refer to her as. And that's what the church fathers referred to her as, um, mm-hmm. as well. So it's not, again, really? me going rogue. Uh, Chrysostom, I have it in here somewhere. My, I have my Vance Reader's copy in my hand, though, so I can't go to the same page numbers. <laughs> but I footnoted that, um, how he says how amazing it is that a woman is actually an apostle, called an apostle um, by Paul. And mm-hmm. so that's pretty, ma- you know, and, and it's, we don't know who this man is they're talking about either. And there's all kinds of imagination about who he could be. But um you know, so we see this team, this woman man team, and you know that makes a lot of sense um, when you think about the Roman churches at the time, and that you've got the Jews and the Gentiles, and you know the different classes and all that's going on there. You know, was, there were some fractured churches at the time. So uh, Richard Balcom has uh, done some interesting exploratory work on that, and it, you know, it's it's plausible, but it's not provable. Yeah. So um, you kind of have to use some historical imagination and just. You, you can't make some big doctrinal claim out of it. Um, so, so, you know, big whoop if you disagree. Yeah, but... <laughs> help, help me understand. Like, why is it that as long as you, if you take Junia to be a a female and she's a lowercase a apostle, mm-hmm. what's wrong with that? Is How is that challenging? Um, because they connect that to top-down authority. And that means a man would have to be under her quote-unquote supposed authority. But it's ridiculous because we all... We all have some sort of authority. <laughs> all yeah. of us do. Um, we have authority as lay people in a general office um, to teach one another um, as, you know, the priesthood of all believers. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, I just think there's a, a huge difference in, in how they want to look at authority. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think, you know, I've read a bunch of the stuff a long time ago on the junior stuff and whether it was a man or a woman. What I don't remember being a little conflicted with it. But I, I don't even see, I don't see why unless you elevate Junia to a capital A apostle that there's a right. problem. Right. Um, there's plenty of women missionaries out there now. <laughs> yeah. So I don't see what the big deal is. But um, yeah. And then as far as the, the women leading churches, I don't necessarily say that they're leaders in the churches. I actually explore that idea like with Lydia in particular, these women who had churches in their homes. You know, you've got Prisca, Chloe, Nympha, Afia, Lydia possibly Junia and, and Phoebe. Um, what I'm saying here is that they're not just making the communion bread. You know, most of these women were heads of their households, even at the time um, they prevailed upon, you, you know, Lydia prevails upon Paul to come to her house and, and to plant this church. Um, but I do explore that idea. A lot of people say, well, when Paul left, is Lydia then the leader of the church? But uh, Luke kind of changes in, in his gospel, he kind of changes first person and second person so it looks like he's, or from second person or first person, it looks like he stayed behind and probably mm-hmm. led that church there. Um, so not only are we asking, did he leave a woman behind to lead a church, but we're also asking, did he leave a, a brand new convert behind mm-hmm. to, to lead a church? But, you know, I do think that she was a huge advocate um, and probably was shoulder to shoulder doing a lot of great things uh, in the name of Christ in helping point to him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see. So it seems what's wrong uh, with saying to, that. To be honest with you, as I think about all of this, the only legitimate way you, someone could say that the, any of this is dangerous is that they have a very slippery slope. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. if you don't well, affirm use that word. this this hyper robust understanding of masculinity, mm-hmm. then you're going to automatically become a radical feminist. Right. 
So I guess I don't know how to interact with someone who thinks that. How, how do I maintain a sense of unity around the actual non-negotiable things in the faith, uh, actual confessional doctrines, mm-hmm. and then these things that are legitimately third tier? I mean, I, yeah. there's nowhere in any of our confessions that speaks to whether Junia is a male or a female, and if she's a lowercase. Well, apostate. you know, even the most conservative scholars now are having to say that okay, this was a new development that was just trying to make her a man, and there's absolutely nowhere where that name has been used in a masculine way. Mm-hmm. She's a woman, yeah. so it's it's yeah, so and, I get- yeah, quibbling over one woman when you're not even saying that she led a church or was a big A apostle, um, I think we're really just kind of yeah, uh, calling names over little, th- little differences. Like I can, I can say, well, I disagree with you, but we still could be brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't think you're dangerous for disagreeing yeah, with me, right. you know? And, and, and that's the thing is that um, they vilify those who don't accept their terms and and have all of these, uh, you know, this whole doctrinal system that they've put together um, mm-hmm. with hyper-masculinity and femininity, which I think is very turned in on self and, mm-hmm. and not pointing to Christ. Yeah, it, it seems the whole, whole dust up over this. Uh, my main issue with it is just the way it's become enemies and vilifying the other person. Um, like this stuff, like you can disagree with it and still be cool with each other. Like, what's wrong with that? I mean, you're feeling my frustration here because that's how I thought at first, like years ago when I first started kind of asking some questions and addressing some of this. I was naive to think that. Um, But it's pretty powerful um, how how the anger, how it raises anger. um, And then, you know, you get called these names, which then dismiss you. And I mean, let's just say it. Denny Burke's review misrepresented my book and and he tried to poison the well yeah you know so yeah Uh, yeah. it certainly wasn't wasn't charitable i mean that's yeah that's for sure and he could disagree with my book just disagree with it and represent it right right yeah and i think that's that's i mean part of the reason i wanted to have you on here is so we could hopefully fairly represent you because i think Probably a significant number of our listeners, I don't know how many it is, but a good chunk probably did not look at your book with excitement, just to be mm-hmm. frank with you. Oh, I know uh, that there's definitely, <laughs> there's a lot of poisoning going on with the well. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to have an opportunity just to say, look, I, we can disagree on stuff and be cool. And I don't even know if I disagree with, with a lot of what you said. So I, mm-hmm. I like a lot of what you said. I, I don't know. I mean showing the difference between the publishing disparity, uh, the, the chapter on, you know, the parature stuff. I feel like everybody should agree with those things. Like legitimately, I I don't see how there's any debate on those. There's just debate on some secondary third, third tier issues, uh, on what goes on here. So, yeah. And I think I, I grow from reading outside of my circles. I grow from reading, uh, people that I disagree with as well. You know, some of my favorite books that I've learned the most from, I've had some major doctrinal differences with some of the, the authors, but in mm-hmm. other, you know, what they're writing on, I've, I've really been stretched and grown. So yeah. I think that we should encourage uh, one another to listen outside of our own echo chambers and, okay. and be challenged that way. That's awesome. Well, Amy, I, I've had a lot of fun talking with you. Um, I'll take... I'll take the heat on this episode if anybody doesn't <laughs> like what was said. You're going to get some. Um, yeah, come to me. Don't come to Brandon. Brandon obviously asked like three questions so the whole time. I'm I was, off the internet now, so it's okay. Yeah. I, I deleted my Twitter. So so hate on me for whatever you want to hate on. Um, I don't know what you're going to hate on, but I'm excited to find out what it is. Uh, a few things I want you to remember. I think Amy's books are really helpful. So she was talking about the... The other one she's she's had, I, I feel like she's been a model of writing deep theological things for women um, that there's not really that market there for it. And I've always looked up to you as somebody who thought, man, this person's doing awesome stuff. Um, I want to promote it as much as I can. Uh, I've always enjoyed, I always enjoyed you on the mortification of spin. I thought I've, I mean, that's one of the few podcasts that I listen to and 
I like your stuff. So listeners, okay. I think you should go check out Amy's stuff. I think you should go get this book, uh, Recovering from Biblical Manhood Womanhood, continue the discussion to understand how we should not allow um, unbiblical and unhelpful things infiltrate our own church cultures to make, you know, people not feel welcome, people not feel loved and not be able to use all their gifts that they've been given. Uh, and it's not liberal just to say that women can actually exercise spiritual gifts. <laughs> so I'll put that out there. Um, Amy, w- I'll let you have a final word. If you wanted to say anything final, or if you feel like we represented you pretty well, you feel, feel good about things. Um, then we can, <laughs> we can close up shop. Yeah, I feel pretty good about things, but I do do want to, you know, say that I don't think my book's the end all be all. I think that there are, you know, ways that it could be improved. I think that, um, I, you know, I welcome questions like the ones that you are asking. And, um, like I said, I'm learning and still learning, but I'm hoping that it glorifies Christ and that we can have good converse, good, healthy conversations in these kind of heated cultural topics. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you wrote it. I'm glad you came on and talked with us about it. I think this is a lot of fun. I think this is really helpful. So all everybody who's listening, once again, go check out the book, go buy it, go read it. Um, uh, And I think start the conversation. I think, you know, it's not the end all be all. Like Amy said, there's more to be said. There's more to be thought through. There's more applications to be had Mm -hmm. to understand how we interact with, with this legitimate problem that is in our churches. So For everybody who's been listening, we thank you for tuning in to another analytic, uh, the only analytic Baptist and confessional podcast on the planet. And we thank you guys for tuning in.